Well, the scripture text for this morning is Psalm 46, not 76, Psalm 46. You may turn there in your Bibles, or if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, you can find that on page 471. And while you're turning there, let me just uh, tell you Psalm 46 was one of Martin Luther's favorite psalms. It inspired his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. We're going to sing that later at the end of the service. And often when Luther encountered difficulties, he would say to his close friend, Philip Melanchthon, come, Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm and let the devil do his worst. Let me read Psalm 46 for us. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Let me pray for us as we come to God's word this morning. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, our hearts are open before you this morning, and you know all of our anxious thoughts, all of our fears, all of our troubles. We ask that you would help us this morning. Give us hearts to believe and to trust in the good news held out to us here in Psalm 46. We ask for the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, reading the headlines in recent weeks, I've been reminded that the world we live in is not a safe world. Uh, in fact, it's a dangerous world. And let me just give you an example of some of the headlines I came across. I know you've probably seen similar things. Chaos persists at Kabul Airport. Uh, New England under hurricane watch as Henry threatens. California's brutal wildfires are exhausting firefighters. Uh, something more local, two men ages 18 and 21 killed in car crash with tree in Rancho Bernardo. Aid group closes emergency clinic in Haiti amid violence. And, and that's just a few days worth of um, headlines, uh, one headline from about each day. This is a dangerous world. And maybe 
um, as you reflect even on your, your past week and you look at the circumstances in your own life or maybe the lives of, of loved ones, that reality has, has come home to you, that life in this world is uncertain, that life in this world is often unstable. Now, the, the natural response to danger is what? It's fear, right? And fear can be healthy. Fear has its place in the Christian life. But left unchecked, fear can paralyze. It can make you feel trapped, make you feel hopeless. It can sap your joy. And the reality is, is Christians are not immune from paralyzing fear. And that's why the Bible speaks to it so often. You see, God comes to us in His Word. He comes as our Heavenly Father, and He reassures us that there is, in fact, a safe place in this unsafe world. There is a refuge to which we can flee. And Psalm 46 is one of those portions of Scripture that speaks to our fears This is a very well-known psalm, a much-loved psalm, and for good reason. It's a psalm for people who live in a dangerous world. And one of the things I appreciate about Psalm 46 is that it, it doesn't sugarcoat things. It's very realistic. It doesn't offer us platitudes. The psalm tells us the danger is real. This is a frightening world. And yet in the psalm, we hear God's people say, we will not fear. And this psalm, you could hear it as I read it, it it exudes confidence. This is a psalm of trust. And we don't know the exact circumstances behind its composition. The, The title, the superscript there indicates that it's a song of the sons of Korah a guild of musicians responsible for leading worship in the temple in Jerusalem. And here in this song, they lead God's people in declaring their trust in their covenant Lord. And the message of this psalm is very simple. In a dangerous world, God in Christ is our refuge and strength. God in Christ is our refuge and strength. We are kept safe by His power and by his abiding presence. The psalm divides nicely into three parts. You can see there uh, the word Selah at the end of verse 3, verse 7, and then again at verse 11. It marks the end of each section. And so I want to look at at each of these three sections of the psalm with you in turn. And and first, in verses 1 to 3, I've labeled this section safe in an unstable world. Safe in an unstable world. And and you look at how this song begins in verse 1. It begins with this this very stirring declaration of confident trust in God. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Just these these three statements about God here. He is our refuge, that is a, a shelter from the storm, a place of safety, a place of rest and refreshment and safety. Uh, he is our strength. This, this God, the Almighty God, imparts His power to weak people. He, he gives us strength to endure. And then this, this third statement there, it's really a summary of the, the previous two. He is a very present help in trouble. God is our helper, our friend. He comes 
to our aid. And it's kind of a, an awkward way to put it, a very present help. The idea there that the translators are trying to bring out is that he's exceedingly available to help those in need. Um, he's not far off. This God is not distant. When we're in trouble, we don't have to go looking for him. He's there. He's with us in our troubles. And the psalm wants us to see and to know and to celebrate that, that this God meets us with his divine resources, that he protects and preserves all who take refuge in him. And so the, the opening of the psalm, that first line, announces the theme. God is our refuge and strength. The second verse draws a conclusion. So coming on the heels of that, the, the people of God say, therefore, therefore, because of who God is, we will not fear. We won't be afraid. And notice the four those in verses 2 and 3. We will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And it's like the singers are saying to us, look, this isn't just pious religious talk. These aren't just... Um, Nice thoughts to try to get you through a tough time. This, this is our confidence. We will not fear even in the most um, unimaginable scenario. And the, the language that they use here, it, it describes a, a cataclysmic upheaval. You have this great shaking, the, the high mountains toppling into the sea, the sea churning and roaring and battering the, the coast. It's like a 10.0 earthquake and a Category 5 hurricane striking simultaneously and just bringing devastation and disaster. You know, the, the things that are supposed to be solid and reliable, things like the earth, <laughs> things like the mountains, the, the ground on which we stand, those very things are all collapsing here in the, in the poetic language of the psalm. And you may know that in the Old Testament, the, the seas were the preeminent picture of just cha of chaos. You know, the, the sea is deep, it's dark, it's full of terrifying creatures. Its waters are constantly threatening the dry land where we, human beings, live. And for the mountains to crumble and topple into the, the chaos waters, it's like creation itself is being undone. The, the creational order that God established in Genesis 1 is, is being destroyed. The boundaries he set between waters and, and land obliterated. In other words, the unthinkable has happened. And what this psalm is wanting us to think about here, what it's wanting us to see in this very poetic language, very dramatic language, it's giving us a picture of, of one's entire world coming undone. The ground moving under your feet. Uh, we here in California have a little bit of a, uh, an awareness of what that's like with our earthquakes. It's unsettling. The things you thought were reliable, stable, secure, unchanging have been destroyed. That's, that's the picture here. And some of you know how that feels. I mean, you get the phone call in the middle of the night. Or the, the a trusted friend turns out to be an enemy. 
the diagnosis is worse than you imagined. Um, Your once happy marriage has become a battlefield or you've lost your job, you can't have children, a loved one dies. It it could be any of these things. You, You know what it's like to feel like the chaos waters are engulfing you. Now, let me point out something obvious here. And it's so obvious, I think we tend to just overlook it. And that is this. There will be troubles. You know, this, this statement of faith here, this confession of faith in verse 1, God is our refuge, God is our strength, God is our help. When is he our help? In troubles. The, the psalm doesn't promise that having God as your refuge exempts you from troubles. And you really can't celebrate these truths about God apart from an experience of troubles, right? And, and there will be troubles. And, and I'll confess, I kind of chafe at that. Um, I don't like troubles. I'm sure you don't either. You know, I've shared with you before about my struggles with anxiety and depression, and, and sometimes there's a reprieve, and I've had a reprieve, or I had a reprieve for several weeks, and then, and then recently the, the chaos waters of anxiety start roaring again, and, and I wish it weren't so. I want a comfortable, emotionally stable life, and I'm sure that you would rather have God grant you a a trouble-free life. God, yes, I want you as my refuge and strength. I just don't want all those troubles. (laughs) But remember what Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. We live in this, this broken world where things are not the way they're supposed to be. Sometimes the chaos waters do roar. Sometimes it, it seems as though the mountains are um, being tossed into the heart of the sea. God's good creation has been corrupted by sin. It's a broken world. It's a world full of troubles, trials, difficulties, heartache, sorrow. It's inescapable. And yet, the, the good news we, we read and hear in this psalm is that God has not left us to drown in the brokenness. He's come down in the person of Jesus Christ. He's come to redeem us. He's come to bring us back to Himself to be our refuge and strength. And as we look at this opening section of the psalm, I, I want to say that we, we need to learn to think and to see like the singers of this psalm. The world, their world, is collapsing. And you could think of different moments in Israel's history where they could sing this, where um, enemy nations come to overrun Jerusalem, or during the time of the exile, where everything that they thought was stable and reliable was taken away from them. And their whole world is, is falling apart, but they look to God. They sing about his character. They, they remind each other who he is and why they can trust him. And, and let me just say as an aside, that's part of the value of corporate singing. When we come together on Sundays, we are singing praise to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet we're also speaking to each other. We're also telling each other, put your hope in God. God is our refuge and strength. Look to him. And, that, and that's what's going on here in this psalm. And you know, when we experience difficulties, we develop tunnel vision, don't we? 
Our, our focus just becomes that thing, whatever that thing is that, that is troubling us. And, and maybe, like me, you kind of ruminate on all the what-ifs. You know, well, well, what if this happens? Or, or what if that doesn't work out? Or, or what if I don't know what to do? And it's what if, what if, what if, what if. Uh, it's interesting here, the psalmists don't do the what-if game. They, they play the even-if game. Even if the, the earth gives way, even if the mountains collapse, our refuge will not. And so friends, if your world is collapsing today, look up. Look up to the God who is your refuge. Look up to the God who is your strength. Look up to the God who is so very present to help in the midst of your troubles. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. He is a refuge to all who put their trust in Him. He is the the King of all creation. He's greater than the roaring waves. And He is your God and your helper in Jesus Christ. And so this first section of the psalm celebrates this wonderful reality that we are safe in an unstable world. Safe in an unstable world because God is our refuge and strength. And then, as we move on to the second section, verses 4 to 7, we're safe in a chaotic world. Look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. It's interesting, as, as the psalm transitions from verse 3 to verse 4, this second section, notice the contrast. It's very dramatic. At the end of the first section, you have, you have a, a roaring ocean, waves and, and chaos and seas swallowing up mountains. And then, verse 4, a peaceful river. A river. And the streams of this river imparting joy and, and gladness to the city of God. And the city of God is Zion. In, in Old Testament terms, Jerusalem. The, the holy habitation of the Most High is the temple there in Jerusalem, the place where God had chose to dwell among His people, the, the, place, the one place in the world where He makes His presence known in, in, in a way unlike any other. And this river we read of here, it, it waters the city of God, giving it, it life. It gives the city vitality and, and happiness. Now, This is a poetic description of Jerusalem, not a literal physical description. There is no major river flowing through the city. If you were to go there today, you would be unable to find this river. At best, there's an underground spring that struggles to fill the pool of Siloam. This river here, it's a symbol of God's presence with his people. It pictures his provision, his his life-giving and life uh, renewing presence. And, and we see this kind of imagery all over in Scripture. There's an echo of, of Eden here. You may remember back in Genesis 2. Uh, Genesis 2 tells us that there is a, a river flowing from Eden, watering the garden where God used to commune with Adam and Eve. And the river flows on from there and splits into four tributaries, um, bringing life to the world, so to speak, from the presence of God. Fast forward to Ezekiel 47. The prophet has this vision of a, a future temple. And it's, a, it's this beautiful picture 
of a new Eden. And he sees a, a river, again, a river flowing from God's temple and flowing eastward toward the Dead Sea. And everywhere the river goes, everything it touches comes to life. And there's, there's renewal. The dry land is made this, this flourishing land. And the, and the water even reaches the Dead Sea and transforms the salt water of the Dead Sea into this fresh water full of living creatures. Again, life-giving water coming from the presence of God. And then we heard in our Scripture reading from Revelation, in Revelation 21 and 22, John sees a vision of the, the New Jerusalem, the, the city of God come down from heaven to earth. And what does he say he sees? He says, I saw the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And as he goes on to describe it, the tree of life is on both banks of the river and its leaves bring healing to God's world. Isaiah speaking about Zion in Isaiah 33:21 says, "But there the Lord in majesty will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams." And so God's presence permeates this city and and his people are are nourished by his presence, refreshed and blessed by his presence. They're also protected. Verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. And that word moved was the same word used in verse 2 about the mountains being moved into the heart of the sea. It's used again in verse 6 about the kingdoms. The kingdoms totter. They're shaken. But the city of God, God's holy city, the place where God dwells, will not be shaken, is what the psalm says. It will not fall. Why? The psalm says, because God is in the midst of her. God dwells there. God cannot be shaken. He is the rock of our salvation, and you would have to topple God to topple His city. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. The verse goes on to say, God will help her when morning dawns. And daybreak was typically the earliest time that an enemy army could attack a city. And so the, the picture here in this second section is you have the city of God, this beautiful city sustained by the, the river of God's presence, and yet it's surrounded by enemies. And yet God shows up at, at the just when His people need Him. When they are most vulnerable, He shows up at the right time. He's never late in coming to His people's aid. He shows up exactly when they need him, when God will help when morning dawns. And I just want to ask you this morning, do you believe that? Do you believe and trust that God will come through for you? And I know every one of us here right now could think of situations where we need God's help. We need him to be our refuge and strength. And, and do you believe that, that God will show up when you need him. And you might have to wait. We don't like that. But you might have to wait. God's timing is in our timing. You know, we're sort of like, um, excuse the, the nerd reference here, but we're sort of like the people sheltering in Helm's Deep in the Lord of the Rings. I know some of you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. They endure this long night of conflict with devilish enemies. And then right at daybreak, who shows up? Gandalf shows up with all kinds of reinforcements as the morning 
dawned. Verse 6 goes on, the, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. And, and again, that, that word rage was used in verse 3. That's what the waters do. They roar and they foam, they rage. And it's interesting, the first stanza paints this picture of creational upheaval. The second section is, is talking about political and national upheaval. The, the nations are in constant turmoil. The kingdoms uh, rise and, and collapse. Like Psalm 2 says, the nations rage against the Lord. They rage against His anointed and His city. But verse 6 goes on to say, He, that is God, utters His voice, the earth melts. The Sovereign Lord simply speaks. Just like He spoke the whole universe into existence, He speaks and the opposition melts away like wax before the fire. And then verse 7, that a refrain that's repeated again at the end of the psalm. The Lord of hosts, that is the Lord of heaven's vast armies, the Lord of hosts is with us. In other words, the mighty God, the, the sovereign one dwells among us. The God of Jacob, that is the, the covenant God, the God of Grace, the God who's bound Himself to us, is our fortress. A fortress being a a stronghold that's inaccessible, way up on the heights, um, safe and secure. God's people are safe in the city of God. Protected from all the chaos, all the raging, all the roaring around them because God is there. A mighty fortress is our God. And I know as, as we're reading this, it's tempting to think, well, that was great for those people back then. You know, the ancient inhabitants of Jerusalem, they had this city to dwell in. But friends, we can sing this song as men and women in Christ. As, as the people of Christ, we can say, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob, our covenant God in Christ, is our fortress. God is truly with us. Jesus is God in human flesh. Emmanuel. God with us. God has come to dwell in us, even individually, by His Spirit. And this, this picture of Zion, we need to realize that Zion is a bigger reality than just a city in Palestine. It's a heavenly city, the new Jerusalem that will be joined to earth one day. And if you are in Christ, if you belong to Him by faith, you are a citizen of Zion, Philippians 3.21. You belong to the new Jerusalem. The, the church of Jesus Christ is God's temple on earth, His holy habitation. And, and do you realize that when we gather together on the Lord's Day as Christ's people, that God dwells among us by His Spirit? This isn't simply a, a social gathering. This is an assembly of the citizens of Zion. God he, he meets us here with His refreshing waters of grace as they come to us through the Word, through, through the means of grace. Now in Scripture, there, there's always a difference between the Zion of faith and the Zion of sight. You know, what we see in this psalm is the Zion of faith. This, it, it, Zion is a vast city, a glorious city, strong, beautiful. The Zion of sight, what we see with our very eyes, our day-to-day experience of being citizens of, of God's city is far less impressive. You know, Christ's church on earth is small. It's weak. We're surrounded by enemies, spiritual enemies, 
um, ideological enemies, moral enemies, people who don't like Jesus Christ and don't like his gospel, people who despise the values of God's kingdom. You know, we could think right now of our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, and they're, they're literally surrounded by enemies. Their very lives are at risk because of their faith in Christ. And Jesus said that his church on earth is like sheep among wolves. That means vulnerable, <laughs> surrounded. And so what confidence can we really have? Well, it's the confidence of verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. You see, our, our confidence as we live in this world as sheep among wolves is that Christ will protect and preserve his church. The Lord of heaven's armies is with us. He is on our side. And Christ is building his church. He is defending his church. And he promised that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And we have that same confidence even as individual believers. Christ is with us. You think of Paul in 2 Timothy 4 towards the end of his life going to stand trial before the Roman authorities, and he, he describes how every one of his associates, every one of his friends deserted him. He was there all alone. And yet he says in 2 Timothy 4.17, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. You think of what Jesus said to Peter in Luke 22. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. <laughs> that, that statement, I have prayed for you. Your faith will not fail. And Christ intercedes like that for every one of his people, each and every one who trusts in him. And You might come away from the battle bloody, bruised, beat up, but Jesus says he prays for you. And that means you are as secure as, as can be. And so, first, we are safe in an unstable world. We are safe in a chaotic world. And then this third section of the psalm, verses 8 to 11, we are safe in a warring world. We are safe in a warring world. And as we move into this final section of the psalm, the, it presents a vision of the future. So we get a glimpse here into God's final victory over all his enemies, over all the enemies of his people. And we're reminded here that amid all the upheaval and the chaos that we witness in this world, the, the roaring of the seas, the toppling of the mountains, God is working out his purposes. God is at work directing human history to its appointed goal. And so the, the section opens with a summons in verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Well, which, which works? It says how he has brought desolations on the earth. It's a call to witness God's work as the divine warrior. It's a very sobering call here to, to contemplate and observe and, and witness the, the destruction God brings. And, and that can be disconcerting, right? It, it's uncomfortable. It's, it sounds harsh, but remember the context. You have God's people in God's city, surrounded by enemy hordes, and God shows up to fight. 
that he judges his enemies and saves his beleaguered people. And look at the result of his work. Verse 9, he makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. So it's not just a a localized peace that God brings here. It's a, a universal peace. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. In other words, he's destroying all the implements of all the instruments of ancient warfare. You could substitute in here tanks, uh, nuclear submarines, armed drones, whatever it may be. God just destroys it all. You have this battlefield that is strewn with the the wreckage of an enemy army. And, And notice here, God comes to make war cease. In other words, he comes to bring peace. And yet, how does he do it? Um, by forcible disarmament. <laughs> there, there, there's no diplomatic negotiation going on here. No um, you know, working the, the UN system to try to make peace. God comes <laughs> and, and destroys all opposition. What is he doing here? He's ridding his earth of all that kills, all that destroys, all that oppresses. And the goal is true peace, shalom, that, that total well-being, a flourishing world under his kingship. He, he destroys the destroyers in order to renew and, and recreate his broken world. There's a second summons. Verse 10, and this time we hear God himself speak. Up until now, it's been the the psalmist, the people of God singing, um, um, talking, professing their faith, calling on each other to behold the works of the Lord. And now in verse 10, we get this prophetic oracle. God himself speaks up, and here's what he says. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God proclaims his kingship. He will be exalted as king. And that, and that language there about exaltation over the nations, exaltation over all the earth, that's, that's pointing to the universal scope of his reign. Not one square inch of this world escapes his rule. Now, the question I want to ask here is, to whom is God speaking? Is be still and know that I am God, is it, is it an invitation to quiet meditation? Or is it a rebuke? You know, typically we, we read this verse and we think, it, we read it along the lines of, you know, get alone with God, spend some time reading uh, his word, meditating on it, pour out your heart in prayer, stop being so busy, slow down, be still. And those are all good things, and you can find plenty of passages that talk about that kind of thing, but that's probably not the point here. You know, imagine a family on a, on a road trip. It's been a long day of driving, and, and the children are in the back seat, the way back of the minivan, and they're fighting, they're arguing, they're poking each other, jabbing each other, creating all kinds of commotion, And dad looks back and and says with a bit of a raised voice, be still. What does he mean? Let's all just enjoy the quiet? (laughs) No, he means stop it right this instant. And that's the idea here. God is 
rebuking the warring nations. He's speaking to the rebellious enemies and he's saying, lay down your weapons. You are overpowered. Stop it. Stop your rebellion. Could be translated, quiet. Stop what you're doing. It's a, it's a summons to stand in awe of the majesty of the great king. And this command here, it's reminiscent of Jesus you know, in the boat with his disciples and the storm is, the waves from the storm are, are battering the little boat and Jesus speaks, peace, be still. And the chaos is transformed into calm. So the psalm ends with that refrain that we've seen already, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. God wins. That, that's what the psalm is saying. God wins. Um, that, that's all you need to know about eschatology. God wins. <laughs> now, there's actually more to know. But this is where history is headed. This is where history is headed. And, and recently, I, I've been thinking about something that Tim Keller has said. Maybe some of you have come across this. He, he said, if Jesus really rose from the dead everything's going, going to be okay. If Jesus really rose from the dead, everything is going to be okay. And Jesus did, therefore it will. And I think that's what this psalm is, is trying to help us to see. And it, it doesn't mean that everything will be smooth sailing in the present. God is king, God is our refuge, God is our strength, a very present help, but that doesn't mean everything will be easy. There will be troubles. But there is a day coming when the Prince of Peace will put everything right. And that's what the psalm holds out to us here at the end. That day when he comes to destroy forever sin and death and the devil. That day when God's peace and God's glory fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Everything will be okay. And this little glimpse here at the end of the psalm, this this picture of God's future victory, it's meant to anchor your soul. So that when the storm rages, when the waves crash, when the the ground shakes and the mountains collapse, you can be confident because you know that God wins in the end, no matter how dark and stormy life is right now. And so friends, there is only one safe place in an unsafe world, and it's, it's not your career. It's not your success. It's not your ability to manage everything that goes on in your life. It's not about living off the grid in a, in a remote part of the country. There, there is one safe place in the God who is our refuge and strength in Jesus Christ. There is salvation in no one else. And Christ crucified, Christ raised from the dead is the only place of true safety in this world. Jesus himself was, was plunged into the, the waters of God's judgment against our sins so that the streams of God's grace could wash over us. He is our refuge. And if you belong to him by faith, if you belong to Christ by faith, you are safe. You are secure. You are kept by God's power. Your life is hidden in Christ under the shelter of God's wings. And Christ is your rock, that, that solid ground, that unmovable 
source of safety and security and rest. He is your fortress, and He's promised, friends, never to leave you, never to forsake you. He is your always present, never failing helper. And you can trust Him. You can say this morning, if if that's you, if you are in Christ, you can say, He is my refuge and strength, even if. And you just fill in the blank there. Even if. Whatever the, the worst thing that, that you can think of. Even if He is my refuge and strength. And let me just say one final thing here to conclude. As we take this psalm, the, the psalms are not abstract theology. They, they are prayed theology. And what I mean by that is they're, they're meant to shape how you think, how you, how you speak to God, how you think about how you see your own life in this world. And, and let me encourage you to begin working Psalm 46 into your prayer life. You know, go to God and tell Him about the chaos waters. Go to God and tell Him about how it seems like the ground is shaking and you can't keep your balance. Tell Him about how it, it feels like the waters are rising up over your head and you're not sure how much longer you can tread water. You know, call on Him as your refuge and strength and ask Him to be that ever-present helper that he promises to be and and set your hope on that that day that this psalm talks about when Christ comes to make all things new when the prince of peace makes peace eternal peace and when you when you pray like that when you take up psalm 46 into your prayer life you're you're watering seeds of faith and and hope you're you're looking up with the eye of faith to the God who is bigger than all the troubles. And so we as Christ's people say the Lord of hosts is with us. The the God of Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is our fortress. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we come to you this morning as as weak people, as sea-tossed people, so often full of fears and and worries and what-ifs. Lord, would you help us to take refuge in you, take refuge in your Son, that, that place of refreshment where the waters of your grace wash over us and renew us and nourish us. Would you help us Lord, to learn to look up and to not become so fixated on the the raging seas that we lose sight of our rock, the rock of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.